0: Good morning, welcome to, to Faith to our second service. and if you're a visitor or first time person, we really greet you in the name of Christ. Glad you're here. and hope you have experienced God's presence already in this, in this service. And um, we're in the middle of a, of a preaching series in the, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the story of Jesus Christ, the King and the Kingdom. <clears throat> you know newspapers are a thing that are, that's almost are becoming obviously. my newspaper is getting very, very small. I think of the slogan for the New York Times all the news is fit to print. I don't know if that's really true anymore because all kinds of stuff happens that's not printed anymore. I heard a commercial, a radio commercial, speaking of radio, uh, uh, the Washington Post, they have an interesting slogan if you don't get it, then you don't get it. Think about that one a little bit. If you don't get it, then you don't get it. <laughs> in, in the Gospels, as we come to this point in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, I, I, I think of the disciples, and I think they have come to a point where they get it, but they don't get it. They get it, but they don't get it. Now, last week, Pastor Craig op- opened up for us the, the great passage in, in Matthew 16, the confession of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, "On point that... That, that, that confession I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and he's building his church. Now, in the gospel, in the gospel of Mark, that passage is preceded by one of the strangest miracles of Jesus. It's the miracle where he goes and he spit, g- grabs some spit, puts some spit in the guy's eyes, mud in the guy's eyes, and the guy, he's, he's partially healed. And then he does it again and the man is completely healed. It's one of the weirdest, when you're you're reading through the scriptures, it's very strange. You say, wait a minute, did Jesus fail the first time? What is going on there? Jesus was doing some teaching right there in that that miracle because that man had partial perception at first and then he he became clear. He had what I like to call fuzzy faith. And that passage in Mark's gospel precedes the passage where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and you think that he now he's got it, right? And then in the same paragraph, he tells Jesus, no, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. May it never be. And Jesus says, as Craig said last week, get behind me, Satan. Peter got it, but didn't get it completely. And Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, you know, you don't get it yet, so don't tell people because you don't get it yet. Yes, I'm the Messiah, but you don't understand what that means. I'm not going to Jerusalem to reign. I'm going to Jerusalem to die for you and all the sins of the world. And he, he said it clearly, tells us in the Gospels. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Craig laid that out for us last week. And then Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, they all end that section, which comes right before our verse today, passage today, they end with this verse. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What is Jesus talking about? Well, this passage precede, that verse precedes this passage in the three first Gospels. Let's read our text. It's Matthew 17, 1 to 13. Jesus um, <clears throat> on the mountain here. It's little over little overhead here. After, the six, after six days, P- Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, and he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The Lord bless the reading and hearing of, this, of his word this morning. My title is The Beloved Son of God, The Beloved Son of God. This, this sermon series is in Matthew. It's the gospel about Jesus, the promised King, who's come to usher in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to convince all people Jews, Gentiles, all people that he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and to strengthen those believers to be radical community of the king, and that's what we want to be. Radical in our calling to make disciples of the nations, of all the nations, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, everyone, in all nations, all times. Now we wrongly sometimes believe, many people, that spiritual health can come from just sincerity, a sincere commitment to any kind of religious activity and any kind of religious uh, dogma or creed. I would say that we, 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 building healthy, grace-filled discipleships, people who are healthy in their discipleship for, 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 for Penn Lucy is what we're talking about. And, and, and this term grace-filled disciples that we throw around a lot, what, what's it all about? What, what, what's a person who's a, a disciple who's filled with grace? Well, one of the things is simply this. Grace-filled disciples are those who are in spiritual union with Jesus Christ. They're in union with Christ who is the divine son of the living God. That's bottom line. That's basic. And we're going to look at that today in this passage. You're going to be disciples full of God's grace. You're in Christ. The outline today is pretty simple. Discipleship is about spiritual union, union with Christ. And then we who are disciples are do three things. We need to see Jesus. We need to experience Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. That's what disciples do. We see Jesus clearly. We experience him, have experience with him, an encounter. And then we listen to him. Let's walk through this. Uh, the first, first four verses. Healthy, grace-filled disciples need to see Jesus. The text, Jesus, six days after the, the, the confession in, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, <clears throat> Jesus takes the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, on a mountain to have a special uh, encounter, to see, uh, get a special glimpse of his divine glory. Um, it was a week later, uh, the la- the, towards the last portion of Jesus' ministry, maybe no more than six months before his death. And and uh, the inner circle, there they are a few who got to see certain things. Peter, James, and John, they got to see him when he raised Jairus' daughter, when he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. When he went to Gethsemane to pray on the night before he died, he took only seven. He didn't take the whole all twelve, took a few. These are the inner circle, this first group. The ones he knew the most, the ones who knew him the most. He was, it says in verse 2, transfigured on this high mountain. The Greek word is metamorphosis. Sounds like metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. The It's not a very common English word, this word, transfiguration. I'm sure you probably didn't use that word in your normal conversation this week, transfiguration. Some may recall a lyric in a song. It's called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. Remember that song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic? As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men friend free. Our God's marching on. The, the, the glory transfigures us. It changes us. a definition, a dictionary definition, the transfiguration. To, to change, or to transfigure, to change the appearance of a person or thing. It's usually in a very positive way. and It's often in a spiritual way. Transfigure. So Jesus' face became like the sun. His clothes became white. It's light, and the, the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It's the book of Hebrews, beginning. Hebrews, verse chapter one, verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature, and He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's Jesus. That's Jesus, and so. The, the inner circle, they see this incredible uh, uh, phenomenon of Jesus turning, br- Probably it's probably night. They're praying at night. off went, often went to the hills to pray at night, and they see that, and they're amazed. But that's not enough. Look, look at ver- the next couple of verses, verse 3. Look who shows up, Moses and Elijah, two Old Testament figures, two saints from the Old Testament, and they're, they're talking with Jesus, they're conversing with Jesus the Savior that they had served even in their partial understanding of what this Messiah was going to be like, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the great lawgiver, Elijah, the one who was the great law protector in that day when when it seemed like faith was about to disappear among God's people. They both served during different seasons, seasons when there were clusters of great mighty acts of God, miracle seasons. Moses and Elijah, they both experienced great mountaintop experiences. On, at Mount Sinai, Moses received the word of God and gave it to the people of God. Mount Carmel, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, Elijah has to battle with, the, God, with the, the, the prophets of Baal as, as he cries and falls down, calls down water uh, to burn the fire. They, they, they They they, they both had very interesting departures from earth. Moses, we don't know where he was buried. God did not let the people of Israel know where he was going to be buried. Why? They would have made a shrine out of it. So so he just went up and he died and God buried him, I guess. And, And for Elijah, it was even more interesting. Got on a chariot, up he went. They both had very interesting departures. They both left behind someone who was clearly their successor. Moses left behind Joshua. Elijah left behind Elisha. But most importantly, I believe, you have Moses and Elijah, and they represent the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. Moses the law, Elijah the prophet. And they're there, these two men are there. And you have Peter, James, and John representing the New Testament. Because you can't understand the Old Testament or the New Testament unless you understand the sixth man on the mountain, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he is the radio, that he is God's Messiah, the Son of the living God. The Old Testament point to him, the New Testament point back towards him. In, In fact, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, in this passage, parallel passage, says that Moses and Elijah were talking about his departure, ESV translation, Greek translation is of the word exodus. They were talking about his exodus. Interesting uses of words, isn't it, with Moses there? But it was talking about his departure from this earth as he was moving towards Jerusalem. Luke says his face, he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem where he was going to die. That was his mission. He wanted to fill that mission for Moses and for Elijah and for James and John and Peter and for me and for you. He had a mission and he was focused on that mission. And this event was an amazing experience for these three apostles to behold as they watched Moses and Elijah come down from heaven to talk with Jesus, their Lord. You ever watch... Uh, uh, on TV, kind of a political speech, one of these big political speeches, uh, and often on the on the networks, you have these well-paid talking heads who give all this commentary. You ought to watch it on ne- the network C-SPAN. C-SPAN is a cable network that doesn't have those well-paid talking heads. They don't have a bunch of guys on a panel who tell you what to believe about what you just heard. When there's applause, long applause, they don't break in and start talking to tell you to try to help you explain what you just heard. They just let the applause linger. They don't. They, there's there's silence, because sometimes things are so great, you don't need commentary. You just need to enjoy the moment. Well, that's what we have right here in this passage, because Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah are there. The and and Peter. It was time to just. Not, just to be quiet and enjoy the experience. But our friend Peter had to say something. <laughs> you can't just have silence. You got you to fill the room with some, with some words. And so his words are almost humorous there, but they're interesting. He says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now it's interesting. I mean, he, 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 it's good. Um, three tents, you know, one, one for each of them. I mean, again, to them, to him, the fact that, that Moses and Elijah are there was more fascinating than the fact that Jesus was there because he was just Jesus all the time, you know. But Moses and Elijah? Wow. So he's like, boy, let's have, let's have three equal, these three equal people, let's have, let's, let's make a tent for one of each of them. mean, it's interesting, he didn't say let's make a tent for us. He, at least he didn't say that. <laughs> Let's make it for the three that, that, that he were looking up to. And then <laughs> the passage, he, he, while he was speaking, the cloud comes is what happens. But I'll, let's land right here for just a second. The significance of what's happening here. By the way, the tent. Um, the idea of that, why we build a tent, there's some conjecture that this might have been around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, where the Jewish people would um, build these tabernacles, which pointed to the wilderness journeys. They're usually in the fall of the year. If you go Fort Wa- Mount Washington and Pikeville area, you'll see the Jewish people still do that. They celebrate the, the wilderness wanderings with booths. So there's some speculation that this was there during that fall season. And, and, and Peter says, Yeah, let's build a tent right here. Let's just, let's just rest here for a little while. Anyway. The significance of what's going on. I want to pause and just remind you what's what's going on here. There is a visual affirmation of the verbal testimony about Jesus' deity. They're seeing a visual affirmation of that confession that he gave in chapter 16. That's what's going on. Verbal confessions are very important. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, the confession, Jesus is Lord. He said, no one can make that confession unless the Holy Spirit uh, moves him to do that. Jesus is the Lord. He's the divine Son of God. He's the unique Son of God, Son of the Father. He has no rivals. He's eternal. He's not derived. And we need to understand the sonship, the unique sonship of Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Again, a verbal confession. And Peter's done that in chapter 16. He got it, but he didn't totally get it. And so God God gives him a visual affirmation here in this chapter. See, our, our faith can rest upon apostolic visual affirmation. The apostles have a visual affirmation, and our faith can rest on that. Jesus is not going to transfigure himself before you. He's done that. And our faith rests on the the confirmation that he gave these holy apostles. And that's why in 2 Peter, the text that we heard in the Scripture reading, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received glory from the, God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter is talking about this experience that J- Jesus said, don't talk about it until after the resurrection. He writes the book after the resurrection and he's talking about it. it. It was a dramatic affirmation of the confession that he made that Jesus was indeed the divine son of the living God, unique in all his person. In any other human being so Peter and James and John you know they were all martyred for their faith but they because they never got away from this truth they never got away from what they saw on that holy mountain and they exhort us to heed this Son of God as well again we just saw Peter's testimony James, who also saw this never got to do a testimony or a written testimony because in Acts chapter 12 he was martyred for his faith. He was martyred; they killed him because he wouldn't deny what he had seen on that mountain, the transfigured, glorified Jesus. And John, the, th- the third of the, of the three, John 1:14, as he begins his book. We beheld his glory. That's a a, a strong statement, but one of the things it points to is the mouth of transfiguration, where he beheld the glorified Christ in all his brilliance. Revelation 1, 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John, he says, uh, uh, the uh, the apostle says, we heard him, we saw him, we touched this one who was the word, the word of life. And we proclaim to you that you might have life and might have joy a couple applications for us as we we in our day look at this one is about worship the simplicity of of the fact that we need to worship the Lord Jesus Christ we've been doing that this morning haven't we it's been a wonderful time of glorifying him and, and calling ourselves to be his people because who was like the Lord nobody we sang it do we believe it worship you know the ten commandments we're commanded to worship God correctly you know that And it involves not making an image of him. It involves worshiping him with with sincere hearts. It involves living consistent with the words that we declare. It involves worshiping him with an accurate understanding of who he is. And as we progress in our lives, we need to come to more and more clarity about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us, understand more deeply that and how he relates to his people, how he relates to a broken world. The more we meditate and study His character and His deeds in Scripture, the more we come to recognize Him working in us and working around us and working through us to be a blessing that He wants us to be. So we need to worship Him and go deeper in our worship. We need to witness to others about Him because indeed He is the divine Son of God. And not all believe that. That's a... that's a, that's a difficult belief for some people. But he's the one who's come down from heaven. He's a unique one. We need to study that and understand that so that we can share that with others. We begin to recognize even inaccurate understandings of this. There's so many out there, you know. When someone comes to you explaining that you, that you should be able to do miracles because you're a son of God like Jesus was a son of God, beware. You are not a son of God like Jesus was the son of God. There's a difference in that word. Beware of them. In that, in that sense. Or, or someone might suggest that our your view of the Godhead is just wrong, that, that you know, really that, that our view of the Godhead is that we believe that there's three gods. We don't believe that there are three gods. We, we believe that there's one God who manifests himself in three persons. And that sounds like theological language, but it's very important that we understand that. It's very important that we understand that, that distinction. We ought to study the scriptures so that we cannot just worship him more accurately, but that we might witness to others who need to know that the one who who, who brilliantly shone on on that mountain is the Lord of heaven. We need to understand that more and more. As healthy disciples, secondly, we need to to experience Jesus. Experience Jesus. Look at the text, verses 5 to 8. They saw the cloud. They heard a voice, the booming voice, reminding them of the same voice they heard at the baptism. They had the experience of, of being laid out <laughs> like Ezekiel, like Daniel, like Isaiah. They had the experience of being touched by Jesus, being touched, the touch of grace, the touch that picked them up, and as they rose, they, it was just Jesus there. The touch reminding them that he comes to give grace, not to give judgment to those who would trust him, who recognize their need. He's a father. He's a loving God's a loving Father. The other day, th- th- last week, this past week, we had in the office uh, students from Clemson uh, University in South Carolina, about, about, about 15 of them. Um, the Clemson Fellowship of Christian Athletes Ministry, which is a huge ministry, several thousand students, they, had, they brought 500 students to Baltimore this week to do service in the community in, ch- in various churches. We were blessed to have 15 of them with us. And uh, Tuesday evening, we, we went down, James and I went down to... Um, the Radisson Hotel Ballroom to, to their large gathering. I want you to see what it's like and experience it and hear what the message was going to be like. It was a great message. The message uh, was from Ephesians and, and the gentleman was talking about um, that experience in his life where he did some things and it grieved his parents. And his point was this, that the Holy Spirit, the, when Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, you cannot grieve a thing or an it, you grieve a person. You grieve a person. And that God, God is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person with, with, with personality and, and, and all the things, that, of, of feelings and all that. And when we experience Jesus, we're experiencing the person, a person there. It's an experience. And people need to do that. But following Christ is not just following a creed, following beliefs on a page. It's an experience with a person. It's following him. Yesterday, here at the church, we had the spring thing, which was a real success. Uh, it was more than a nice time for, for kids to come and have fun, though that did happen for sure. It was a time to connect with people, to be the body of Christ, to, to display to people uh, that they would experience uh, the, the love and the diversity of this body of believers, because we are a body, and a body, sometimes you, you, the first thing you know about some is not their words. It's the physical presence, the body. It's what you see, and that same thing is true when it comes to our witness to people. Before they hear, they see. Before they hear, usually they see. Sometimes the experience can be a mystical encounter. Sometimes, last weekend, several we went to um, to visit uh, the, the 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 new Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad experience over in the Eastern Shore. Um, <clears throat> Of course, she helped deliver slaves from, from southern, uh, southern parts of Maryland. Uh, the, the, I was thinking about the slaves that was there. The, the slaves had real authentic experiences with God. And you know, it was all done in the name of Jesus. The Slave songs reflected their longing for freedom, and, and it was grounded in orthodox understanding of the Christian faith. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus, Jesus. One song that they had playing in that museum, I'm bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? Illusions of the children of Israel. But also talking about bound for the north. All the songs, go down Moses, way down to Egypt's land, let, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And encounters. And, and, and those slaves did not have the education that many of us have. You know what they had? an authentic encounter with the one that Peter, James, and John saw on that mountain, getting experience with God. Grace-filled disciples experience the radical love of Jesus. Uh, George Yancey talks about this. Every, Every Christian has a responsibility to be a witness, and we usually think about witnessing as telling others about Christ. Sometimes we think of witnessing as living a life that others will admire. In their admiration of our lives, we can tell them about the God that has given us the strength to live that life, but witnessing is more than an individualistic endeavor. Just as our personal lives can provide people with witness of God's might, witnessing is also possible through what people observe. Here it is. Then he says, most Americans understand that the racial problems of our country are severe. Given that this context, multiracial churches can provide a powerful witness to the rest of society. His book is about multiracial churches. He's a Christian sociologist, and, uh, and I'll I just say amen to that. To this society, multi, multiracial churches, churches where there's diversity, uh, uh, people coming together in Jesus' name is a powerful, powerful thing. Because people don't always listen to the message, but they see something different and strange and unique and wonderful. They'll give the message a second hearing. Experience the radical love, but then experiencing the radical truth, because it's the radical truth. This gospel message is a radical truth as well. The early church martyrs gave their lives for this message. John, James, we saw in the passage, gave, gave his life. Peter was crucified on a cross. great story is the story of one of the disciples of John, the Apostle John. Uh, is, uh, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. He lived from 69 A.D. to 156 A.D. Direct disciple of John. The ancient book entitled The Martyrdom of Polycarp records that he was tr- tried for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. And so on the day of his death, he declared this, Eighty and sixty years I have served him, and he's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of ever- everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was then burned at the stake. But when the fire failed to touch him, then he was pierced with a spear how could he stand there and let them do that? What gave him the faith, the courage to do that? When all he had to do was just renounce his faith because John had trained him that what John saw on that mountain was real. That Jesus Christ is the glorified son of the true and living God. It was truth. There is an experiential element that's essential to the Christian faith based on creed, but more than that. Christianity is grounded in, in creed, yes, but it's, it's, it's more than, than creed. It's, it's an experience with the living God because you know what you know and it changes your heart. It's, it's relating to and talking to him. F- First Peter chapter 1, he, Peter talks to his disciples, though you have not seen him, you love him. There it is, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That's an inexpressible, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No. There's no transfiguration for every generation, but it's passed on. The truth of it is passed down to that generation and on and on to this generation. And do we believe it? Do we believe the truth of what those three men saw on the mountain? Peter enjoyed the experience, yes. He said, let's build a booth, let's stay here. But no, he couldn't. They couldn't there was work to be done. It was not enough to just see him or experience him. They, need, they also needed to, 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 to listen to him. To listen to him. and Healthy, graceful disciples listen to Jesus. Look at verses 9 to 13. 9 to 13. They were exhorted to listen to him. And so, in these verses on their way down from the mountain, they asked him a question. The question is, is pretty, pretty, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Because they had just seen Elijah and Moses on the mountain with Jesus. And Common theology of that day was that before the Messiah came, Elijah would come, based upon Malachi chapter four verses four to five. Yes, you are the Messiah. Okay, we understand that, but Elijah didn't come. What's what's with that, Jesus? That's the essence of their question. They want to see did they miss something, or did was did Elijah come, or was there, was the common understanding of Malachi incorrect? And so, Lord. They have a question for him. What do they do with their question? They go to Jesus. They go to Jesus. What do you do with your questions? What do you do with the things that you don't understand about God and about spiritual things, about religion? Where do you go? Do like these apostles. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Verses 11 to 13. He says, John was that promised Elijah. He was that Elijah figure. You can look at Second Kings and in Matthew 3, and you can see the commonality between those two men. But, but Jesus affirms their understanding that it was right, that Elijah was to come first, but it was not going to be a literal reincarnation of the prophet Elijah. No, that's not what it was going to be. Maybe that's what they had in mind, that some sort of reincarnation of the literal Elijah would come, and then Jesus would come back, would, would come, excuse me, in the, in the first incarnation. Um, no, but it was, John the Baptist came as an Elijah-like figure. Okay? He came as a figure like Elijah, one to proclaim that the, 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 the Messiah is coming. Now, here's a question for you, or just a challenge for you, a reminder for you. Um, they, they, they were a little bit confused about what was going to happen in their understanding of prophetic history, of, of, of God's historic timeline. And it's a challenge. Some, some of us who, who, who believe that, that God unveils the future for us in His Word. We need to, to hold our conclusions gently. Why do I say that? Because they were looking for a, a, the literal Elijah to return when it was an Elijah-like figure who returned, who came, and, and so they missed it. And I don't know, we, our community group, just tomorrow, tomorrow is going to begin looking at the book of Revelation. I'm excited about it. I'm also scared because it's a tough book, folks. <laughs> We can get, get bogged down in all the details there. We need to hold our conclusions about prophetic things in scriptures gently with an understanding that this may be literal, it may be not as literal as we think. And then wait and watch as God unfolds history before us. But that's, that's a sub-point. But here's the main point I want you to hear. see here. It's this question of what do you do with your questions? What do you do with your questions? They're listening they take their questions to Jesus. They, they heeded the voice of the Father, who said, "Listen to him. To those, to, to, to those around him. Listen to him, because he's a unique, wise, perfect, sinless, beloved Son. How do we listen to God? How do we listen to Jesus? How do we do that in a practical? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. You know, if you're like me, you've been to many conferences and retreats and." Seminars. We heard of the Bible. You've heard lots of sermons, hundreds, thousands, probably in your life. If you're like me, um, probably one of the most important conferences I ever went to was was in, as a freshman in college, 1972. I went to a, a, a intervarsity conference in College Park called Bible and Life Level One. There, I heard the simple truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Believe it. Build your life around it. And two, if he's your Lord, listen to him through studying his word every day. That was the conference. Well, that was a, that's, a, that's the summary of the conference. That changed my life. That changed more than any conference I've ever done, ever taught. That changed my life. Because... We, the, the lordship of Christ only makes sense through his, as we embrace his word and follow him in his word. In John chapter 6, there's this great story, the bread of life story. Is Jesus gives some hard teaching, and so the disciples say, this is hard. In, in verse 66, after these, this, many of the disciples turned back no one and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? You, you leaving as well? You taking off too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are you going to go? Where do you go with your questions? Even when Jesus' will for you is difficult. Even when, there was a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. Have you been through an experience in your life where God didn't seem to make sense? When that happens, where do you go? You alone, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. The Father's voice on that mountain is confirming for these disciples the confession of Peter. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Paul in Ephesians talks, in Ephesians 1, seven times in the first 14 verses, he uses the phrase, in Him or in Christ. And he's, He is declaring that all the spiritual blessings that we receive, all the spiritual blessings that come down from God, are contained through and only through Christ. And that's a, a simple truth, but it's a truth that many people reject. You can only be blessed through Jesus Christ, it, it is not through Moses, it's not through Elijah. It's not through Peter or James or John. As as helpful as they are, blessings, spiritual blessings only come through Christ. It's it's not through Buddha. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through uh, the Presbyterians or the Baptists or any movement. The spiritual blessings of God only come through Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of this transfiguration. He's the unique one. There's no one like him. No one. And so John could say in his letter, what manner of love is this? That we should be called the children of God. You know why? Because we, if you have treasured Christ, you are in him. You are in Christ. And if he is the beloved son of God, guess who you are? You are the beloved son of God. And your identity is wrapped up in him. In your identification with him, in his death, resurrection, in his person. Romans, love the way Romans ends. Romans 8 ends. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Doesn't stop right there. It's the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if, if, if you talk about the love of God, that's very popular. If you talk about the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, you might end up like Polycarp. John Peterson wrote a song. We'll end with this this words of this song. All glory to Jesus, begotten of God. The great I am is he, creator, sustainer, but wonder of all, the Lamb of Calvary. To think that the guardian of planets in space, the shepherd of the stars, is tenderly leading the church of his love by hands with crimson scars. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of our lords, and he reigns in glory now. Someday, he's coming, earth's kingdom to claim, and every knee shall bow. And every knee shall bow. That's Jesus. Unique. No one like him. That's why we serve him. That's why we worship him. That's why we believe in him. That's why we proclaim him. I trust you know him. Because every knee, indeed, indeed, Ultimately, we'll bow. Let's pray. Lord, it was an amazing scene that they saw. It changed their lives. It's changed the lives of many people after this. We can't compromise on Jesus. He's the unique son of the living God. He's the I am. He's the word that became flesh for us. I pray that truth would sink down our hearts and we would rejoice that we're called yours by your grace. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here who's still wrestling with these truths, Lord. You you would do your work of of, of giving them uh, the the assurance that they can know that they are yours, that they belong to you. Do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with... uh,